following message is presented by Erie Evangelical Free Church in Erie, Illinois. We are a church that exists for the good of our community and are proud to share the gospel of Jesus Christ as we seek to know him and make him known. I want to start off this morning with a quick math quiz. Everybody's excited, right? Math quiz? Don't worry. Don't worry. I think you'll be able to handle this one. All right? So question number one, just three questions. Question number one. One plus one equals, you don't have to say it, just in case you're worried about being wrong, you don't have to say it out loud, just think in your head. It equals two, right? If you thought two, good job, you got it right. One plus one equals two. Okay, question number two. Two plus two equals four. Man, you guys are on fire. Two for two. Okay, number three. This one gets a little tricky, okay? I'm going to throw a little curveball at you. You got one plus one. You got two plus two. Four plus eight. Four plus eight. Twelve. There we go. So at worst, you went two of three. Four plus eight equals 12. Okay, well done. But now let me ask you this question. Let's go back to question number one. One plus one equals two. We know that, right? Everybody knows it. Here's the question, why? Why does one plus one equal two? I mean, equal two. I mean, we all know it, right? There's no question. There's no doubt. We know the answer, but could we prove it? Now, if you want to go down the rabbit hole, you can go, jump on YouTube and look, why does one plus one equals two? And you'll see a bunch of weird theories and, and you know, talk to Brian Burry after service. He'll, he'll walk you through it, right? I, didn't, I, I looked at, I don't understand any of it. It's all gibberish to me. But, but the reality is, even though we can work through things and, and maybe try to come up with something that makes sense as to why one plus one equals two, the reality is one plus one equals two is, is what we call an axiom. It's a basic truth that we use not to prove itself, but to prove so many other things. You just accept that one plus one equals two so that you can prove all kinds of other mathematic formulas and equations. It's something you trust to prove everything else. This is the case with Jesus' resurrection, right? I can't show you the surveillance footage from outside the tomb from that first Easter morning. I can't bring you the medical records of a resurrected Jesus and go, see, here's what the coroner said. He was dead. And then, and we have documentation and it's sealed with the stamp of the Roman empire. And we've got the proof, but that's not really the point, is it? This Easter morning, we don't celebrate a scientific proposal. We celebrate the miraculous resurrection of Jesus Christ, a truth that is foundational to the rest of the Christian faith. Without the resurrection, without the truth of the resurrection, our faith is worthless because we've not been delivered from sin and death. The Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians 15 says, listen, if the resurrection isn't true, we Christians, we who call ourselves followers of Jesus Christ, we should be pitied above all others, because we're wasting our time and our energy. So, how then should we, whether you're a, a faithful follower of Jesus Christ or you're an uninterested observer who was dragged here by somebody else this morning, 
How should we think about the foundational significance of the truth of Jesus' resurrection? In Luke's account of the resurrection of Jesus, we find three realities that we must confront this morning in order to have a full and meaningful understanding of the power and the efficacy of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And the first truth we're gonna encounter here is in Luke chapter 24, verses one through the first half of verse five, where we're gonna find that unbelief is logical. Unbelief is logical. Luke 24, verses one through the first half of five. On the first day of the week, very early in the morning, they came to the tomb bringing the spices they had prepared. They found the stone rolled away from the tomb they went in, but did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. While they were perplexed about this, suddenly two men stood before them in dazzling clothes. So the women were terrified and bowed down to the ground. Unbelief is logical. We see right off the bat that this happens the morning of the first day. That would be Sunday morning, right? Sunday at Sometime after dawn, right, the day after the Sabbath, we remember Jesus was crucified on Friday. He rose on Sunday. And if you've ever heard this story before, you, you know that you kind of look at that and you go, well, that's like not even 48 hours. How is that three days? And we remember that the way the, the Jewish people reconciled time was they said anything that happens on a day counts as that day. So Jesus is crucified on Friday, one day. He's dead all through the, the Sabbath, day two. He rises on Sunday, the third day. And so this is when the, the women come because on the Sabbath, they couldn't come to the tomb, right? Because it's Sabbath, they couldn't work, they couldn't do anything. But the first chance they have, these women who had followed Jesus, these women who sat at the foot of the cross, watched him be crucified, probably watched him be taken down, probably followed him as he was carried away, may have even followed him to the tomb and saw him put in the tomb and may have even seen the stone rolled in front. These women come back the very first chance they have on the first day. And they bring the burial spices to the tomb. Remember, burial spices, the reason they had burial spices was because if you put a dead body in a cave for a while, what happens to it? It stinks. And so they bring the spices so the tomb doesn't stink to, t to, to prepare the body. So they, they bring these spices and when they arrive, they see the stone is, is rolled away. This massive stone has been rolled away. And they go inside and they encounter two men in, in dazzling clothes. Right? This description of men in dazzling clothes means that they knew right away who these, these men were. They knew that they weren't encountering some rebels who had come to steal Jesus' body. They weren't encountering some, they weren't encountering some Roman soldiers that they didn't plan on. No, they were encountering angels messengers of God. And their obvious response is that they are confused. Right? Luke says they are perplexed. And this is understandable, right? Because nothing they're seeing makes sense. Think about, just imagine losing a loved one, family member or a close friend, and you've been there, you've seen the body, you went to the funeral, you saw them maybe in the casket, you went to the graveside service, you saw that casket lowered into the ground, you saw the, 
the dirt piled up on top and you went home and you grieved for a few days, but, but maybe two or three days later, you thought, you know what, I want to go and I want to leave some flowers on that, that tombstone. Right? I want to leave some flowers there. I want to just have that moment of, of some, cathart- some cathartic moment there, whatever it is, and you go, and you go to where that body had been buried. And as you're coming up to it, you see that the dirt is gone. The casket is open and there is no body there. What is your first thought? Because I can pretty much guarantee it's not resurrection. I mean, any, anybody can honestly go, I, I, would, I would be certain right then that it was a resurrection. No, we don't think of resurrection. Why? Because we have nothing in our brains, nothing in our lives, nothing in the experience of who we are or what we've been through in life that can connect with a resurrection. Every person I've never known in my entire life who died is dead and has not been raised. Our first thought would not be resurrection. So the women come and they see all this stuff and they are perplexed. They are confused. I say this all the time, but I understand why people don't buy into Christianity. Why people don't buy in to Christianity. Because there are a lot of Christian doctrines that if I'm being totally honest with you, don't totally make sense to me. We want to talk about the, the Trinity, that there's one God, three persons, yet somehow still one God. I don't understand that. I trust it because scripture says it, and I trust scripture because I trust God's word, but that doesn't make sense to me. We can talk about Jesus' commands of forgiveness, where Jesus says, listen, I don't care what a person's done to you. I don't care how badly they have hurt you, how they have rejected you, how they have turned their back on you. You know what you do? You forgive them because I've forgiven you. I don't understand that because I've seen some wicked, evil things in this life that people have done to other people that I'm like, I don't know how you could forgive them. Jesus' forgiveness does not make total sense to me. And the resurrection does not make total sense to me. There's, again, there's nothing in my life, nothing in my experience, nothing in my intellect that connects with that. So I get why people go, well, yeah, that Jesus stuff, I, I just don't, I don't, I don't, I don't, I'm not into that. It's because belief, that, that unbelief is understandable, even logical. It's a logical conclusion when God's truths don't fit neatly into our human perspective. Paul knew this when he wrote to Timothy, just 30 years after this resurrection of Jesus Christ. In 2 Timothy 4, verse 3 through 4, he says, listen, Timothy, pay attention to this, because all these truths about God, they don't fit neatly into the human perspective and human logic. And so Paul writes to him, he says, for a time will come when people will not tolerate sound doctrine, right? The word of God, the truth. But according to their own desires, human will, human intellect, what we would like. But according to their own desires, they will multiply teachers for themselves because they have an itch to hear what they want to hear. They will turn away from hearing the truth and will turn aside to myths. Paul knew that unbelief was logical, that it made sense because we at our core would rather hear what we want to hear than hear the truth. But here's the thing. Difficult truths don't fail to make sense to us because they're not true. Difficult truths don't fail to make sense to us because they are not true. They fail to make sense to us because they are the work of an infinite God. 
And our finite, limited minds cannot and can never fully comprehend who God is or what he's doing. This is what God says through Isaiah in Isaiah 55, verse 9. He says, for as heaven is higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, so are my thoughts higher than your thoughts. God says, I am above you. God says, you will never fully comprehend who I am. And some of who I am may not make sense to you. God says that doesn't cease them from being true. Talk a little bit more about this in a moment, but for right now, I want you to ask yourself, in my moments of of doubt, in my fear, in my struggles with God's word, in my dislike for some of the things that Jesus teaches, is that all based on a trust in a limited, flawed, and unreliable logic of the human brain? Or is it based on who God is. You really stop to consider that, that answer becomes really easy. So unbelief is logical from a purely human, naturalistic perspective. But as we go on in this passage, we also find that while unbelief is logical, the truth is astounding. The truth is astounding. Watch what happens next. Second half of verse five through uh, verse nine. Remember the women have come into the tomb. They are perplexed and they see two men in dazzling clothes and the women fall to the ground. Why are you looking for the living among the dead? Asked the men. He is not here, but he has risen. Remember how he spoke to you? when you were still in Galilee saying, it is necessary for the son of man to be betrayed into the hands of sinful men, be crucified and rise on the third day. And they remembered his words. Returning from the tomb, they reported all these things to the 11 and to all the rest. The truth is astounding. The women were terrified, but they're also confronted with this clear reality and and evidence of the resurrected Jesus. These two angels pose this question to them. The angels say, listen, why are you looking? Why are you looking for the living among the dead? And the answer is not a good one for the women. Their answer is, well, we saw Jesus die, right? It's that logical understanding of what just happened. But what the angels are really saying is, well, how, how do you not remember this? Do you not remember what Jesus told you? This comes out of Mark chapter eight, verse 31, where where Jesus, it it says, then Jesus began to teach his disciples that it was necessary for the son of man, that's Jesus, to suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, chief priests and scribes, be killed and rise after three days. This should not come as a surprise to them that he has risen on the third day because Jesus has been teaching this all along. And these angels are like, you guys, have you guys forgotten this already? Have you forgotten this amazing truth? And with this astounding truth, the women remember everything Jesus said. They're like, duh, how'd we forget this? It's all true. And they go running to the disciples. In Matthew's gospel account, in in chapter 28, verse eight, it says, so departing quickly from the tomb with fear and great joy, they ran to tell his disciples the news, right? With fear, 
And they still had that logical, I'm sure they're still wrestling with some of that logical truth. Like, can this really be? What has really happened? But there's great joy because they remember what Jesus said and they remember that now Jesus has fulfilled his promise. See, many people get lost in, in approaching the resurrection as some uh, academic or theological pursuit. Well, we've heard the gospel story many times. Every Easter, we hear something about, yeah, Jesus is risen. That's great. That's awesome. Good. Now, what about this other stuff? Like, that's fine. That's really basic. That's really simple. But let's talk about this other stuff, right? Let's get into what this means for my life. Let's get into how this makes my life better, how it makes me happier, how it satisfies me better. And sadly, when we take the, the resurrection and we go, well, we're, we're going to piece it together. Okay, we, we, we understand. Great, let's move on. When we do that, we miss the astounding and entirely fantastic reality of the resurrection. Because we've passed over it and we've moved on. We miss how deeply important this is. Because when we start talking about the resurrection, we are again talking about the entire Christian faith. Because the story of the resurrection doesn't start with Jesus' death and burial. It starts in the beginning in Genesis chapter 1, when God created the heavens and the earth and created mankind to live in his perfect creation and puts us in the garden where we have this perfect relationship with our heavenly Father. And instead of just enjoying and reveling in that perfect relationship, Adam and Eve did exactly what you and I would have done. And they chose their own way and they sinned and they broke that relationship with the father. And so they're cast out of the garden. They spend the rest of their days in, in sin and toil and struggle. But God in his infinite love for Adam and Eve and his infinite love for you and me gave them opportunity after opportunity to come back to him. And in seeing them constantly go, yeah, that's good, but we got a better way. God says, okay, you want a better way? I'll give you a better way. You want to do this on your own? Here's what you got to do. And God gives them the Old Testament law, all that boring stuff in the book of Leviticus. And he says, you want to make the way back to me yourself? Follow this, but you got to do it perfectly. If you can do that, you could, we're good. Knowing full well that they were never going to do it and watching them fail again and again and again until they finally realize, yes, I cannot be good enough. I cannot be righteous enough. I cannot do enough to make right what my sin has broken until they finally realize that God allows them to, to wallow in that, but he still is there with his arms open going, just come back to me. Until finally at just the right time, he sends his son, Jesus Christ, to be born of the virgin in Bethlehem so that he would go and live the perfect life that, that Adam and Eve, that you and I were created to live in that garden, in that perfect unity with the Father, Jesus does successfully what we fail at constantly. And through that perfect life, for the, the, the payment for that perfect life is that he is nailed to a cross, abused, beaten. He bleeds, he dies, paying the penalty with his perfect blood, what our sacrifices could never pay so that he could be laid in that tomb, so that on the third day he could rise victoriously. Having conquered sin with his blood, now he conquers death with his resurrection. So that you and I have nothing to fear in death because death has no hold over us because we are united with Christ. 
Also that when we stand in judgment before our perfect heavenly father, he doesn't look at us and go, okay, let's go down the list of what you did. You did this good, you did this good, huh? you messed up here. You weren't so great here. How does this all stack up against my perfection? Instead, he says, let me see Jesus' life. See, the resurrection is not just the story of Jesus not being in an empty tomb. It's the story of our redemption. It's the story of our adoption. It's the story of our salvation. And the reality of God's love of Jesus' sacrifice of the Holy Spirit's power is the most out, outstanding, astonishing, and glorious truth you and I will ever hear. Because it means that then our sins are forgiven by the one who judges all of mankind. It means that you can enjoy the joy and the hope for your daily life in a crazy and broken world. It means you can have purpose for every single day because you've been adopted into the highest royal family. And it means that your eternity is secured in the presence of the good and holy God because you're not judged by you, but by Jesus. It is an outstanding truth that Jesus has risen. And it's a truth that should leave us grateful and if we're brutally honest, should leave us speechless before that truth. When was the last time we simply sat and reflected on the astounding nature of Jesus' life, death, and resurrection? Not just as a bridge of the story to get us to the New Testament stuff about how I should live my life but of the beauty and the significance of that resurrection in and of itself. Unbelief may be reasonable, but the truth is astounding. And this leaves us with one more reality of the resurrection. Because Jesus was raised from the dead, then the choice is yours. The choice is yours. Unbelief is reasonable. The truth is astounding. The choice is yours. Watch how this passage finishes. Luke chapter 24, verses 10 through 12. says, Mary Magdalene, Joanna, Mary, the mother of James, and the other women with them were telling the apostles these things. But these words seemed like nonsense to them, and they did not believe the women. Peter, however, got up and ran to the tomb, when he stooped to look in, he saw only the linen cloths. So he went away amazed at what had happened. Notice the reception of the message of the resurrection by the disciples, by these guys who spent three years in close proximity to Jesus, traveling with him, living with him every day, hearing every word he taught, seeing all of his miraculous deeds, the things that no one could do except God himself. And these 11 men, what was their response to the story of the resurrection of Jesus? Remember a story that Jesus had told them was gonna happen, that Jesus told them on multiple occasions, we're going to Jerusalem, I'm gonna die, and I will rise on the third day. They heard that. And what's their response? it seemed like nonsense to them. Okay, again, we're back to the unbelief is, is, is logical, right? Because I think if, if we're being honest, put ourselves in the disciples' shoes, you saw everything that happened. Now you've run and you've hid because you don't want to die too. And these women come and tell you this story. I think it might seem like nonsense to you and me too. 
but Peter, along with John, if we read John chapter 20, we see that John goes with, uh, with Peter here. And Peter rises and he runs to the tomb. He's like, I, I gotta see this. I gotta, I gotta know, I gotta find out. So he runs to the tomb. And he looks in and he sees the, the burial claws. Not ripped off as if someone tried really quickly to get Jesus and steal his body, but the claws removed, very neatly folded and set aside. You ever have a gotta see this moment? Right, you ever in your life been, had one of those times where you're like, you hear something, you're like, I, I gotta go see this, right? For, uh, as I was thinking about, this is a terrible example, I'm telling you up front, okay? But, but I can remember being in like elementary school. And as an elementary schooler, you hear about the fight over on the other side of the playground. You're like, I gotta go see this, right? And, and the crowd around the fight attracts a crowd. You gotta see it. And we can find all kinds of examples in our lives where we've heard that thing where you go, I got, I got to go check this out. And you run, if not literally, at least figuratively, you run to see if this can really be true. The climax of the resurrection story is not the story of a man who was dead and now seems to be missing and is maybe living. The climax, the story of the resurrection, is the question that it raises. Because it raises that question, given what you know of Jesus' life, given what you know of this story, given what you know of the rest of the Christian faith, what will you believe? What will you believe? God alone saves Ephesians 2, it says, for it is by grace, by God's grace that you've been saved through faith. Faith is the, the doorway into God's grace. It is God alone, his grace alone that saves. So God alone saves, but he gives you and me a choice. He says, will you trust me? Will you follow me or will you reject me? Some of Joshua's final words, right? Joshua brought the Israelites into the promised land, led them through their, their victories there in his final teaching and in, in, in his final conversation with the people of Israel. Joshua 24, verse 15, he says, if it does not please you to worship the Lord, choose for yourselves today. Which will you worship? The gods, of your the gods your ancestors worshiped beyond the Euphrates River or the God of the Amorites in the land? You are living? As for me and my family, we will worship the Lord. All right, he says, choose this day. Do you want to follow the Lord or do you want to follow your own way? It's a very similar thing that, that Paul teaches in the New Testament in Galatians chapter 5, verse 1. He says, for freedom, Christ sets us free. Okay, he says, you've been set free by Christ. Then he says this, stand firm then and do not submit again to the yoke of slavery. What does that say about a choice? If he's saying stand firm and don't submit, what he's saying is you, you can choose to submit if you want. He says the choice is yours. Jesus Christ has done everything that is necessary to set you free, to save you, to redeem you. Your salvation is not a matter of what you can contribute. 
Your salvation is the fact that Jesus has done everything necessary to save you. What do you wanna do? Do you wanna embrace God's love, God's grace, God's mercy, or do you wanna continue to try to do things your own way? The resurrection of Jesus is the overwhelming evidence that Jesus is exactly who he said he was, which means he did everything he said he would do. And it means that he has conquered sin and death. He has paid the penalty for our sin and he has provided salvation. 1 Corinthians 15, verse 56 and 57 says, the sting of death is sin and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Victory over sin by the crucifixion, victory over death by the resurrection. This is the victory we have. And you and I have no part in earning or achieving these things. You will never be good enough. You will never be righteous enough. You will never be smart enough. You'll never be religious enough. You'll never be successful enough. You'll never be anything else enough. But God says, I have made a way. Will you trust me or will you not? Will you follow me or will you reject me? These are the only two options for eternity and for God's presence. We have eternity with a good, holy, perfect father. We have an eternity separated from him. Now, if you want to come back next week, we're going to talk about where we go from here. We're going to talk about the next steps. But for today, you just have to know that no matter where you're at in life, no matter what your experiences have been, no matter what you've been through, no matter what you've done, no matter who you are, that God has met your unbelief And he has given you all the evidence you need to step out in faith. And now he has given you the choice today. Will you trust him? Will you follow him or will you reject him? Will you follow Jesus or will you keep trying to live life on your own terms? Jesus Christ was crucified. Jesus Christ has risen. Jesus Christ is alive. The resurrection is true. And the fact that the resurrection is true, whether you believe it or not, whether you like it or not, the fact that the resurrection is true gives us the only solid foundation upon which we can know that our sins are forgiven, that we have been bought at a price, that we have been adopted into the family of God, and that that we are eternally secured. And while... Human logic makes unbelief a a reasonable response. These truths of the resurrection are gloriously astounding and life-changing in every conceivable way. And the tension between those two facts leaves you and me with that choice. We can trust in the broken, fallen, failed way of our own hearts and our own minds, or we can trust in the one and only perfect, exalted, victorious Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. May we embrace the joy and the hope and the purpose and the peace and the satisfaction and the redemption of Jesus Christ today. May we celebrate and worship the resurrected Jesus, because he has accomplished the work of salvation, paying the penalty that you and I could never pay. And let us surrender our hearts and our minds and our lives to the King of kings who is ruling and reigning now and forevermore. And in this, may we know a life in this world 
and in eternity forward that is far better than the best our human efforts could ever hope for. Because Jesus Christ has risen and Jesus Christ is alive. Would you pray with me this morning? Father God, we thank you for your love, for your grace, and for your mercy. And we thank you for the gift of your son, Jesus Christ, for his life, for his death, and for his resurrection. And Lord, we understand that in our, our, our brokenness, our sin, our failure, no matter how well we may think we're making our way through this life, we are broken, fallen, flawed, failed people. And we do not deserve a healed relationship with you. And yet, you have loved us. You have sent your son to live, die, rise, to ascend to the right hand of your throne, to be our, our high priest, our advocate on the day of judgment, so that we might be filled with the power of the Holy Spirit to choose you not just once in our lives, but day after day after day. And in all of this, we, we just, we are overwhelmed by who you are. And we are grateful for the gift. And so Lord, we, we continue to praise you and worship you. And we ask that you give us strength today to set aside the, the logical nature of our unbelief, whatever small or great measure that, that poses in our lives today. Help us to, to see clearly the astounding truth of who you are and to choose you every moment along the day because we know who you are. We know who Jesus is, the Lord of lords and the King of kings. And we are grateful to be called children of the most high God, adopted into the royal family, to know you and love you and serve you with all, of our, all that we have and all that we are. Would we love you and in your great and your awesome name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to this week's message. If you'd like more information about Erie Evangelical Free Church or our ministries, please visit www.eriefree.com or join us in person at 1409 16th Avenue, Erie, Illinois.